of you who've been here and you're receiving the restoration, that as you allow God to heal you, as you allow God to raise up those ruins and to raise you up out of the ashes, that you will truly soar on eagle's wings and that you will be empowered to do the very things that God is and will call you to do. I believe that God is raising up and not only an army of people, but I believe he is raising up an army of women. And you are that women. You are that army. And um, I'm looking forward to being able to speak into that in just a few minutes. But worship team, I want to say thank you so, so much. <laughs> Fabulous. Have they not brought heaven down and helped us to touch heaven today? Thank you. Guys, you look so handsome today. Fabulous. And you guys are just amazing. And we are so appreciative. So appreciative of your talent and your skill. And um, we want to say a hearty, hearty welcome to you. And um, we have a very special thing waiting for everybody at the end. So I'm just going to do a little bit of housekeeping before I go into my message. You guys are released. Feel free to, to sit down. Um, just a few housekeeping things. So when you leave here, if you could potentially take off your name badge, take out the little the little cardboard tag. If you forget, it's not a big deal. It just makes it easier on us for next year. Take that, that little cardboard tag. You're welcome to take it home with you. Uh, please tuck the string into your tag, and then there's a basket at the back that you can just pop it into, and then we'll be able to reuse them next year, because again, we like to be good stewards of the finances that go into something like this. So to be able to pass those along from year to year is, is a blessing to the next group of women that come. Uh, so if you could do that, that would be awesome. And then right beside that name tag basket, just to make you want to stop and do that very thing, no, um, is so our very blessed Sandy... McNabb that was on base this morning. She also has a very, another talent and she makes these amazing cookies. And so she has made these amazing hearts with a feather on it uh, to represent heaven's heart. And of course the feather is God's presence. And so you can take one of the cookies at the back when you leave. She said to tell you that there are no nuts in it and there are gluten-free and there are just your average cookie, and they are marked. So um, please avail yourself of that when you leave. Um, I want to say just a, an extra thank you to people who helped me decorate, people who helped set up, uh, anybody behind the scenes that did something on a computer for me, or um, PowerPoint, or, or Eventbrite, all of our registration team, they were awesome. Thank you so much for helping all the ladies out today. Um, I want to say thank you to the, the prayer team that prayed behind the scenes for two weeks, and even behind the scenes this morning. God bless you. Um, thank you to all of you as women for just coming today and blessing me with your presence. Seeing you here, seeing your faces, seeing your hearts and your smiles and seeing you interacting with one another is such a blessing. That is the unity of Christ in the body here in Kingston. And then just one other thing that we like to leave you with um, before the end of the day happens is this is a, a wonderful, beautiful gathering of multiple churches coming together. And so we always want to encourage, yes, take what you have learned from here and bless your church, bless your pastor, make their lives easy. <laughs> 
um, you know, take what you've you've heard here and don't let it be a conflict in any way to where you're where you're from. Let it be a blessing to them because that's the only way it can we reach through with the gospel, whether it's somebody outside of Christ or somebody in Christ, is to bless them with heaven's heart, with the love of Christ. So go back, be a blessing to your church, be a blessing to your pastor, and um, I'm just going to say a formal thank you for coming today uh, so that when we end, we can just kind of go into altar ministry time and into prayer, and you will, when I finish my message and I go into an altar ministry time, feel free that you're released at that point and you're welcome to head off and uh, enjoy the cookies, and if there's anything left in the foyer, feel free to avail yourself of that. Um, Tracy, thank you so much from the church book room. Thank you for blessing our ladies and serving them today. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Okay, um, so I get to do the last session, and um, I've been pretty excited about it. Um, in many, many ways, it signifies my life, although it's not my testimony. It's what God has done in my life and what he has, has brought about through my life. And... Um, I believe it, it's for very many reasons, which I hopefully you'll you'll grasp as I go throughout this message. But um, so those who know me, and so then for those who don't know me, I have a little bit of a prophetic bent to me, um, and so God tends to uh, share something with me, and I'll grab a hold of what He's sharing, and then often it's what He wants to proclaim uh, over people or th or to somebody, and um, only a few times though does He often use prophetic symbols. And obviously today you've kind of had a blessing of that in the sense that I really felt like the feather and the words um, were a prophetic symbol of what God was wanting to do in the spiritual realm. Uh, what he, he wanted you to leave here with a tangible something to see that this is what he did in the spiritual realm. He blessed me with his presence. This is his word that he's speaking over me. And then whatever else he has spoken to you through the messages. But that's a bit of a prophetic symbol. And what that does, it just basically can kind of seed or catalyst something in your life. And God begins to speak. He begins to grow that. And he begins to release that in and through your life. Uh, so it comes to fruition. So it comes to a place of full restoration, a full um, beyond what you can imagine uh, kind of thing in your life. So that's one thing. And, and I just wanted to mention too, that Crown Jewels is from the United States, that particular company. They start off their day praying over all of their crafts. They prophesy and they pray over um, each piece of the jewelry that they send out. And so the prophetic word that they sent on the card for me when I received all of these necklaces was that we would be blessed and that we would have our tent pegs stretched and lengthened so that our influence would be a blessing uh, to those that are around us. So I believe wholeheartedly that that fits so much into what God is wanting to do today, that what you've been blessed with today, he wants you to give that away. He wants you to advance the kingdom. He blesses us so that we can bless others and advance the kingdom of God here on earth. Amen? Awesome. And um, so a few years ago, again, for those who already know me, you've been around me a little bit, you recognize that I have a little bit of an affinity to butterflies. Now, I, I have to admit, I wouldn't necessarily normally wear a shirt with butterflies on it, but this one he particularly brought to my path for today. And um, for those who picked up my book, you'll see that there's a butterfly on the book, and that's because um, it talks about when that symbol first came across my path. And um, so butterflies have been speaking to me for 
well, since 2011, since November of 2011. And um, God was just speaking to me about the understanding of the transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly, where the caterpillar, when it changes into the butterfly, has a complete cellular uh, structure renewal. So all of the new cells that come forth in the butterfly are different than what the caterpillar has. But the caterpillar has in it all it needs to become the butterfly. And it's just in a dormant stage. And I just want to read something to you um, from my book on page 50 of what God shared with me when he began to speak to me um, about that concept. And um, so I wrote this. It says, on a personal note, in November of 2011, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about a cellular change happening within the body of Christ. He began to highlight for me the cellular change of a butterfly as it moves from the, from the cocoon stage. There is a complete cellular change. The butterfly, which came from the cat caterpillar, is entirely different. There are no cellular similarities. A biologist, Dr. Lincoln Bauer, states, these little groups of cells start developing very early in the caterpillar's life, but then they stall. And so they're just in there waiting, and they don't start growing until the very end of the fifth instar, which is the last caterpillar stage. Then they start growing really rapidly and differentiating into the different tissues, so that literally the entire internal contents of the caterpillar, the muscles, the digestive system, even the heart, even the nervous system, is totally rebuilt. It's like you took your car, a Ford, into the shop and left it there for a week, and it came out as a Cadillac. <laughs> Woo! Who's going to pray for a new car day? <laughs> uh, you guys are going to be, when you walk out of here, you can say, I'm a Cadillac. <laughs> um, and then, I sa then God spoke this to me when he was kind of releasing that into my heart. Um, and I said, I believe God is saying that there will be an unprecedented move of the Holy Spirit a complete cellular change within individuals, churches, and communities, a sweep of the Holy Spirit that is not just a transition, but a complete cellular change of how we have seen and felt to move in the past. It will be like the resurrection power that brought Christ back from the dead. People will begin to come to life and walk in resurrection power. I believe strongly that for those who are hungry, thirsty, and dry, calling out for Jesus to change their lives, for him to fill them with his glory, to come on earth like never before, he is about to sweep through their lives with the power of the Holy Spirit, resurrection power, bringing such life as we have never seen before. We are truly about to cross over into the promised land. And the promised land is ultimately Jesus Christ, as he is the one who promised. He is our inheritance, and we are his. He is the life, and he is about to bring unparalleled life to his hungry and thirsty people. Resurrection power, death to life, a complete cellular change, cocoon to butterfly. I believe that is a prophetic word over the body of Christ. And I believe that that's why God is saying that you are a, uh, an army of women that he is raising up. 
Are the guys going to come along? Absolutely. But I get to speak into the hearts of women because of what he's done in, t- in my life. And I believe that we need to start believing for that sweep of the Holy Spirit, that resurrection power, that life will come from death, that ashes will be resurrected, and that ruins will come to life in our lives, that we would be so loved by God and that we are so completely restored that we are advancing the kingdom of God through how much love is being spread in and through us. Amen? And then, so, with that particular moment in time, butterflies kind of came on the scene for me. And um, then I ended up writing um, that book. And so that's why the symbol of the butterfly is on there, is because it talks about the prophetic word in that book, although that book is about... um, Purity bringing the presence of God, basically, calling the church, not just the world, but the church back to sexual purity. And it goes on to talk about human trafficking and how our sexual purity actually affects that. And then what God wants to do in terms of restoring the body of Christ to such a place where we are so filled with his spirit that we are impacting our world the way that we have wanted and desired, um, but haven't felt like we've been strong enough or graced enough to be able to do. And so that butterfly began to come on the scene and then um, as I was writing the book um, I was going through the mall and um, again butterflies are were not my thing prior to but um, when God began to speak to me about it butterflies just became so lovely to me and um, he had me purchase these sandals at a pro- as a prophetic symbol so if you can't see them at the back they are like a Jesus sandal but with butterflies all up the middle and um, so the, when I wore them for the first time, I wore them when we had a gentleman come to our church, actually two gentlemen, and they were prophesying over um, some of the leaders. It was called a prophetic presbytery, and it was absolutely amazing, as any of those moments are with a man of God or a woman of God, and God just kind of speaks through them. And this individual, not knowing that I had these sandals on my feet, I was sitting in a chair, and he had been praying, and as he came up, and he knelt in front of me, and he started to say, I just feel like God is saying, and then he looks at my feet, because he was about to talk about my feet, (laughs) and he looks at the sandals, and he's like, wow, those are awesome sandals, (laughs) and and then he began to talk about the concept that how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel, and um, after he finished talking, speaking over me, and then the other gentleman uh, finished speaking over me, and he was speaking about healing and restoration, um, then with those sandals on my feet, they anointed my feet with oil, and I just really feel like there's just, for me, there's just a, a word of transformation, a word of identity, a word of restoration that comes out of my life, and I want to be obedient to that. And um, as Carling was saying, I can't be obedient to anything else other than what God has called me to. And when I'm obedient to what God has called me to, then God blesses that. God anoints that. God moves that forward because that is what he wants to do in the earth through you in that moment in time. Amen. So the same thing for you. And then for today, um, I'm not a combative person. Everybody kind of knows me as a very probably gentle, graceful, peaceful kind of person, except for my husband. (laughs) My husband gets to see the other side at times. (laughs) 
<laughs> especially when we first got married. Not so much now, but when we first got married, he saw a little bit of the conflicting side of me. Um, but as I was getting ready for this particular retreat, um, I've had the most resistance to this retreat, and yet I have felt the most anointing on this retreat, um, which often is what happens um, when God is really moving, the enemy's really moving too. And um, so I kept, as I'm looking on the website, I'm getting ready for Eventbrite and getting everybody kind of set up on that, all that kind of stuff. Um, these boots kept popping up. <laughs> so these are combat boots with butterflies on them. <laughs> and I, I was like, God, I'm not really a combat boot person. <laughs> And I just felt like him urging me to buy these combat boots. And finally I caved and I was like, okay, God, I'm caving. I'm going to buy the combat boots. So these are another prophetic symbol of what God is doing in the spirit. And it's about transformation. It's about restoration. It's about identity. It's about knowing who we are in Christ. It's about our feet being shod with the gospel of peace and with good news that we would know um, that we have on our full battle armor so that we can fight the enemy. If we are missing certain things in our armor and we go and we try to fight the enemy, he's going to take us down. But God wants his women to be armed. He wants you as his troop to be so strengthened and so in knowledge of who you are in him that there is no weakness and there is no ability for the enemy to take you down. That any resistance you come up against, you can stand up against it with your, she your feet shod with the gospel of peace and wearing your combat boots of identity, transformation, and restoration, and you can see the kingdom of God advance in your life and in your circumstances. Um, so I just want to talk this morning about the fact that, you know, we are daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are citizens of heaven. We are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We have a calling on us. If anything, if you're worried about what you're going to do, don't worry about that. Worry about the calling that's on your life. The calling is this. You are a daughter. You are an ambassador. You are a citizen. You are an heir and you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ to enact the kingdom of God that is here inside of you to release heaven on earth. That is your calling. How it happens will look different but your calling is to know who you are, to know who God is, to know what he wants to do through you, and what he wants to do through you is to advance the kingdom of God. He wants to advance the kingdom of God here on earth until there is literally the earth is overtaken with the glory and the presence of God. That's your calling. For some of you here today, I'm not sure you recognize the strength that is inside of you. The presence of God, the DNA of your heavenly Father lives inside of you. And you know what? Some of you, it's because right now you're still in that dormant stage. And it's waiting for that last stage to appear so that everything within your life is completely transformed and reformed and restored because God is going to rapidly move in your life. 
but you've been waiting, 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 waiting. But there's going to come a moment when something's going to shift over your life. Don't negate a spiritual shift happening, a supernatural shift happening in your life where you can go from one thing to the next thing in a matter of minutes. That's what happened to me, actually, in 2011. I went from being like, feeling like the loneliest person in the world, and I was telling somebody earlier, like a desert in the owl the book describes, or the Bible describes it as, to 20 minutes later seeing a vision of me flying like an eagle and soaring over the mountains. And there was a supernatural shift in my life that day where my adoption hit, my identity hit, something shifted over me, and I knew in that moment, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God loved me and nothing could take me out of the circle of the father the son and the holy spirit i was a daughter i was a daughter of the king of kings i was in the family i was connected to the spirit of god can i say to you today that nothing that the enemy will try to do it will look that way or can look that way but there is nothing that the enemy can do to you to take you outside of the family of god You can choose to walk away from that. But if that is not your desire to do, then the enemy cannot take you from, take you out of that. Amen? That was not exactly what I was going to say. So we are transformed in our identity and our position and in our authority when we're in the family of God. See, our identity without position equals no authority. Our position without identity equals no authority, but identity and position equals authority. If you think about Queen Elizabeth, um, before she became queen, she knew she was a daughter of the king. She knew she was an heir of the king. She knew that at one point she would have a position of being queen, but that didn't happen until the king had passed away, and then suddenly she was moved her into her identity and her position, and with the two of them together, suddenly she had authority. It's the same thing for us. If the, if the queen had position but no identity, then she would have no authority. And if she had uh, identity but no position, which she did, she had no authority. But it's identity and position that equals authority for us. And that's something that I believe wholeheartedly God is wanting us to understand and take in and to grasp and allow to sink into our lives because he wants us, if we're going to be his, his girls, his troop, uh, we have to have authority. We have to be able to know what we're standing in, what we're standing for, and what to proclaim. And we need to know that that's going to happen. Why? Because we have authority here on earth because Jesus has given it to us. Matthew 3 and 16 says this, and it's talking about Jesus. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when we look at that concept of Jesus' baptism, in that particular, just in that little verse, it talks about that he had identity and position and authority and heavens were opened to him. He could see into heaven because he knew who he was. He had position. And then when Jesus declared, or the Father declared over him, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, 
He had authority to start his ministry here on earth, and God was sending him out with identity, position, and authority. We can't miss though that combination together. We need all three to do the things that God is calling each and every one of us to do, whether it's in our families, in our communities, in our churches. Maybe it's in the nation. Maybe it's around the nations for some of you. For some of you, you're called to the nations. You don't know that yet. Maybe you don't know what that looks like. And it could be 20 years down the road, but some of you are called to the nations. But when you go into the nations where there's spiritual warfare, what are you going to do? You need to know your identity and your position so that you can stand in your authority and command those spiritual, that spiritual atmosphere to change because heaven is here on earth. Amen? The kingdom of God is here, and he's given us the ability to expand it. So Christ's passion, and my session is about heaven's passion. Christ's passion during the crucifixion was heaven touching earth. And when Christ died on the cross, there was such darkness at the same time that such glory was about to come forth. There was a collision of kingdoms. There was a collision of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. There was a collision of light and a collision of darkness. There was a collision of promises versus the enemy's lies. There was a collision of the worlds, the natural and the supernatural. And there was a collision of the earthly and the spiritual. And God was declaring checkmate on the enemy's kingdom. That's Christ's passion. He wanted to annihilate the enemy's kingdom because when he annihilates the enemy's kingdom, then the enemy no longer has authority over his lost children. And when his lost children grasp that Jesus Christ loved them and he was sent by the Father and they grasp that the Father loves them, that they are a daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, the one who created the heavens, then they too can declare checkmate on the enemy's kingdom. But if you don't know for sure that you're a daughter of the king, that you're a daughter of the creator, if you don't know for sure that the kingdom of God lives inside of you and wants to break through you, then you're going to go through life living as if the kingdom of the enemy still has authority over you. But I am saying today, and I declare in the spiritual realm, that the enemy's hold over you is broken. Captivity is broken. Doors are being opened today. Prison, prison doors flying open. Chains coming off. Bondage is broken. The kingdom of the enemy has been broken by the passion of Jesus Christ coming on the cross. So heaven's passion is to invade humanity with divinity and eventually forever invading earth. Let his glory shine from sea to shining sea. Isn't it amazing? And I've heard that the, to invade in military terms means to overtake territory until the land is occupied. And who here knows that when the military invades, when a territory is being overtaken and occupied, that invading requires a battle. 
And when Jesus Christ came and he began to invade earth, that's the collision that we saw at the cross. The collision of all those things was a battle. And what I felt this morning when we were, when I was getting ready, or not this morning, but throughout this whole thing, when I was getting ready for this retreat, was that there was just this resistance. It was like there was a battle in the spiritual realm. But at the same time, like I said earlier, I just felt the presence of God was going to be stronger here than it had been in the last three years, that his presence was growing and it was gaining strength. And, and I really felt, feel that today, that, um, that God is doing something amazing. So maybe some of you had to battle to get here but here you are and I hope and I pray that you've been so blessed with the presence of God that when you leave here you will understand why it was so hard to get here I had some crazy things happen. Emails disappear. People couldn't get online to, to sign up on Eventbrite. Sicknesses happening. Um, things not showing up. Like, just different. Silly. Like, it was almost like the enemy was just trying to, you know, be so distracting. And to be honest, it didn't bother me a bit. <laughs> I could feel it. I could sense it. I had the pressure. I could feel the pressure. But there was such a, a, a presence and a glory of, or um, presence of God and grace of God that it just felt, it feels easy. It's felt really easy. <laughs> All of these years, this year at the most, although the greatest resistance, there's, there's this place of ease. Sandra said earlier that his, his burden is easy. What is it? His yoke is, yoke is easy and his burden is light. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes we're still going to be carrying some stuff, but it becomes easy. There's going to be some conflict, but it becomes easy with the grace and the empowerment of God when we know our identity, our position, and our authority. Matthew 11:12 in the Amplified says this, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault, and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. That's referring to the fact that, that the... The concept of heaven, the concept of divinity coming to earth, the concept of the kingdom of God coming to earth, where two kingdoms should never touch. The kingdom of man, the kingdom of divinity should never be able to touch. But God the Father sent Jesus Christ in human form so that divinity could touch humanity. And there was a collision of kingdoms, and those things should not collide. And when it did, the people, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, understood that that was such an amazing thing. It had been prophesied and promised for all of those years, and then suddenly, boom, here it was. And John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come and to annihilate the enemy's kingdom and here he is on earth and John the baptizer is baptizing people and people were coming to him in droves because they were recognizing that there was something amazing about this moment in time and they literally were pushing to get baptized because they were pushing to get into the kingdom of God because it was such a precious prize. Do you push to get into the kingdom of God? Do you push to give the kingdom of God to other people because it's such a precious prize? You know, God says that through that scripture that we advance the kingdom violently, the, the violent take it by force. 
And it doesn't mean that it's in conflict. It doesn't mean that it's in that type of battle that we might think a battle in our physical, fleshly sense. But it's in the spiritual realm where we don't allow the enemy to say to us, I can overtake you. But we say to the enemy, I am going to overtake you. And I am going to advance the kingdom of God. And I will do it step by step until the kingdoms or the kingdom of the enemy is removed and we have overtaken the land. I just want to share with you a story this morning from 1 Samuel 30, 1 to 8 in the New King James Version. And this is about King David. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and Zigzag attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people were with him, lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. Can I just stop there and just say, some of you are without tears today because you have wept so much that you just have no more weeping that you can possibly do. There are areas in your life that you have wept over and you have wept over and you have wept over. You have prayed over, you have struggled over, you have talked to everybody you can possibly talk to. And there may be some of you that just sit here today and you're feeling numb. You're numb at looking at that situation and going, it's in bondage, it's in prison, it's in darkness, it's in captivity, it's gone, it's lost, it's ruined, it's unrestorable, and I am done weeping. So they wept until they had no pow more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, have been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Can I just make a little funny note there? How many of you wanted to stone your pastors? <laughs> I don't want to hear one more prophetic word. <laughs> I don't want to hear one more promise. I don't even want to hear one more scripture that would encourage me to hold on, to take a hold, to believe in faith, to uh, believe for the promises. I don't want to hear it. Let's just stone them. <laughs> Maybe it's somebody that you're, that's counseling you, somebody, a friend that's coming alongside of you and they've been with you for years and they're encouraging for years and there just comes a day where you're like, talk to the hand. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> No, I'm not going to answer that text. Oh, yeah, mm, smiley face. Okay. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it text. <laughs> Sometimes we want to stone people around us because we've just been praying so hard. And people wanted to stone David, who was their leader, and he was encouraging them to go into battle. And then because they obeyed him and they went with him, they suddenly felt like, oh, my goodness, my whole family, my whole life has now been taken captive. And now what are we going to do, David? But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord. And then in verse 7, it says this, Then David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And that was the 
basically bring the presence of God to me so that I can um, call out to him because I am in need and I need help. I need to know what is his wisdom and what is his direction. Bring that to me. And some of you have been calling out that for that today. You've been literally calling for the ephod to come. You've been calling for God to come and bring you wisdom, to bring you an answer to what your, your heart is stirring, to what you're asking and praying about. And he's been bringing the presence to you and beginning to speak to you of what you're, you are to do. And David said to this, when he inquired of the Lord, he said, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall, shall surely overtake them and without fail recover. And I should have put in brackets or restore because that's in other translations, all. So you without fail will recover all. You will restore all. I believe today that that is God's word to you. If you are here, if you're in this room, <laughs> I believe that some of you have been calling out for an answer for God to move. But in this moment, God is saying, I need you to pursue. I need you to now move. I need you to rise up in the knowledge of who you are as a daughter, to know your identity, know your position as an heir of Jesus Christ, and understand your authority, and I now need you to move and enact and proclaim that authority because the kingdom of God I have given you, I have released heaven to earth through you, and I can do certain things for you, but there comes a particular time when God says, I need you to pursue. And it's often when we're starting to pursue in the spiritual realm, the enemy's forces. Amen? So pursue in Hebrew means to run with hostile intent after the enemy and what he has stolen. There's a time when spiritual enemies must be pursued. We don't want to make peace with the enemy of our soul. We are kind with people. We are kind with situations and circumstances. We, but we are not called to be kind with the spiritual enemy behind those situations and behind sometimes the way people treat us. We are not called to be at peace with that. We are called to pursue that and annihilate that through the kingdom of God, his, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and his word. So for some of you this morning, God is calling you to pursue. I just want to give an example in, in terms of um, our world. So um, some of you may recognize the name Neville Chamberlain. He was the prime minister of Britain just before Winston Churchill came on the scene, uh, just before World War II was breaking out. And um, he actually, he ended up signing something called the Munich Agreement or the Munich Pact. And he, he, this was an agreement with Hitler and I believe it was like 1938 that he signed this pact. And it was a peace pact, and he was giving over some land to Hitler, and Hitler was supposedly in peace with him. And when they signed that pact, Neville Chamberlain had thought that, and the, and the world even at that point thought, that he had allowed peace to come in their day and in their time in that area of the world. But two days later, Hitler invaded Poland. We don't want to make peace 
with the enemy. When we make peace with the enemy, the enemy takes our territory. And God wants us to pr not make peace with the enemy. He wants us to be the one taking the enemy's territory, amen, and advancing and pushing the kingdom of God forward. So what has the enemy stolen that God is mandating you to pursue and restore this, this afternoon? 2 Corinthians 13.11, and this was our, our theme scripture for heaven's heart. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And that word strive can also be that concept of pursue. Pursue restoration. Strive for restoration. Sometimes we live in peace with the enemy and in conflict with others. God wants us to pursue restoration. Maybe you're living in a place of offense today, a place of unforgiveness today. Maybe you're living in a place of anger today, a place of conflict in, in a relationship with a spouse or a child or a family member, or a church member. There's a varied amount of, of different kinds of relationships we have that we can potentially be in conflict with but have, and have made peace with the enemy that that's just the way it is. That's just how I'm feeling. And so we, we've actually been comforted and made peace with the enemy. And so we sit with that instead of allowing the truth and the grace of God that he empowers us to live out his truth with. We put that aside, but we make peace with the enemy and we hold those conflicts tight sometimes because that's all we know. But I believe this today that God is saying to you that you need to pursue restoration. You need to strive for it. You need to encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And in that, that will give you authority. When we're living in peace and we're living in love and we know who we are, then that gives us authority to cause those conflicts to potentially come into restoration. You can't obviously do anything for the other person, but if you do all that you can do to pursue restoration, then you are advancing the kingdom of God in that situation instead of allowing the kingdom of the enemy to cause you to backtrack and lose a relationship, lose territory. God wants you to pursue restoration. Um, I just want to take a look at a story um, about extravagant love and restoration. And today's whole theme, theme was heaven's heart, encounter love, and restoration. And it's the prodigal story. And I call it the prodigal story and not the story of the prodigal son um, because the word prodigal actually means to spend extravagantly until you have nothing left. So that can refer to what the prodigal son did when he took the inheritance and he ran away and he... Um, squandered it on wild living, but prodigal can also refer to the extravagant love of the father who was willing to give, tear apart his life, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and give the inheritance to his son, and then when his son returns to extravagantly love him. So prodigal is not just a bad, it's not a bad word. <laughs> it's actually a good word. It's about extravagance um, and, and spending, um, where is that? Spend extravagantly until you have nothing left. 
Um, and the enemy likes to twist the truth from healthy, loving extravagance to sinful extravagance. So the, the prodigal father, his extravagant love was healthy. It was whole. It was good. But the prodigal son's prodigality, if, you, if that's a word, I don't know. Webster Dictionary, here we come. Prodigality. <laughs> It's he, his, it was turned, it was twisted, it was turned to sinful extravagance. And that's how the enemy loves to take territory. He loves to take the truth and twist it so that you believe, okay, no, maybe that is it. And maybe that is the direction I need to go in until we're so far in that we're captive and we're in bondage and we can't get ourselves out. Um, the amazing thing is, obviously, is that God always pursues us to bring us back out of that pit. Amen. Another concept of that twisting is you think of Mary and when she was um, breaking the alabaster bo box, the alabaster jar over Jesus' feet to anoint him before his burial and his death. and um, Not before his burial, sorry, before his death. And, you know, here's Judas who was stealing from the, the money that they accumulated as the disciples and he's accusing her of being this sinful woman. And how could you pour out all of that alabaster jar? That was a year's worth of wages. It could have gone to the poor. And so her extravagance was up against his wanting to twist that extravagance to know that's sinful. But God's extravagant love is not in any way, shape, or form like that. But it's our mindsets that if we allow those things to be twisted, then again, the kingdom of the enemy has a chance to advance instead of the kingdom of God and extravagant love advancing instead. So let's take a look at the story. And this is not on the PowerPoint, Margaret. I'm just going to read it because I just wanted the women to um, just hear it. Uh, instead of reading it. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while there, he... But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And in order for something to, ha to need restoration, it has to have been lost, stolen, or ruined. 
and the enemy in this story, and we're going to talk about uh, eight things, well, five things and then three things I'm going to go through quickly, of what the, what the enemy stole from the son. So number one, he stole his life, his property, and his territory. And that I've combined all in one, and you'll see why in a second. In verse 12, it says, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And the Greek word translated as property here is the word bios, which means life. And in Hebrew times, when it came to land, a family's wealth was often tied up in their land and in their herds. So in order for the father to have given the son a part of his inheritance, the father actually would have had literally to tear apart his life. The father would have had to sell off lots of the property and perhaps the herds in order to give the younger son his inheritance then and then, then and now. And so the enemy came and he stole this son's life because he's taking only a portion at that moment of what was going to be allotted to him. And so the question I would have for us this morning in this regard is what is the enemy tearing apart in your life today? What is he requesting of you to tear apart? What has been allowed to bring division in your life? A relationship of some kind. What has the enemy stolen this morning? What has he been able to bring divide in your marriage or church relationship or even in your dreams? Maybe he's stealing your life's dreams and it feels like it's been torn apart. What you thought God promised for you is not showing up and you're feeling like it's gone. It's, you've been disinherited, that you're not getting any of your inheritance, that the enemy has stolen it from you. What has the enemy been able to steal from your life today? Number two, the enemy stole the son's identity. Verse 13a says this, and he set off for a distant country. And in this particular portion of scripture, that means that to leave home and country and to go abroad into a distant country for it refers to departing from oneself and not a place. There is no greater distance than to lose one's identity. When we lose our identity, we lose our position and we lose our, lose our sense of worth and our sense of value. And the enemy loves to steal our identity because he loves to have authority over us and he loves to cover us in shame. That's what happens when we lose our identity and we depart from ourselves. And Carling was talking about that earlier, about that concept of knowing who you are, that God is a good, good father. It's who he is, and it's who I am. I'm loved by him, knowing our identity. Verse 13b, and it says this, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Did I go down too far? Nope, we're good. Um, when we lose our identity, we tend to squander our life seeking something to fill us. What, what empty place do you have in your life, in your heart today, that you're seeking to be filled other than through God's sense of identity, of, of speaking over who you are? And we're never able to feel filled or to feel at peace and to feel secure because what we are seeking, we're seek, what we are seeking is something that the source that we're seeking it from can never fill. It can never speak into that empty place because it has nothing to give you. 
It's always something that's empty. Verse 14 says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. What have we spent everything on? Maybe some of you are here today, and you're, you're in that place of, I have spent everything. But what have you spent it on? Have you spent it on crying out to God? Have you spent it on seeking him for the help in that particular situation? Or have you spent it on searching for that, that other source, that other thing to fill you instead of God? What have you spent everything on today? And what is your famine? Is it finances? Is it emotions? Is it a spiritual famine? What famine has come into your life that you have a, a need in that you're now recognizing that you are in need? Number three, the enemy stole the son's position. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Other translations say that he attached himself to a citizen. So the citizen didn't welcome him in because he was away from his natural place and he had no source, he had no infilling, he had no refreshing, he had nothing new coming in. He's in a famine, he's in desperate need. He went to a distant country, so he's left his identity, he's, he's left himself, and he's attached himself now to a, a, an unnatural person. He, he, he forced, uh, literally the Bible actually, or the... Um, commentaries and the dictionaries describe it as he he literally forced himself onto this citizen that he attached himself to this citizen because he was in so much need and he needed help and when we have lost our identity and our position we tend to attach ourselves to things and people who are natural for us you know sometimes we make peace with the enemy uh, because sometimes we're lonely and we're empty and we're needy and we want a relationship. And sometimes we attach ourselves. We literally force ourselves on somebody else trying to be their friend. Maybe it's you want somebody to be a spouse, uh, whatever that might be. Maybe it's you're dating somebody and um, you're unnaturally attaching yourself to that other person because you're wanting them to meet and fill that need. But God says that that's unnatural. But that's the enemy stealing from you. So the enemy stole his position. Verse 16a says, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. And um, that's an archaic way of saying he, he wanted to just fill his stomach. And, or sorry, fill his stomach is an archaic term for he wanted to fill himself. So sometimes we try to, when we, we don't seem to be getting what we want, we want to fill ourselves. We seek it out in other ways and in other sources because instead of allowing God to fill us, we try to do it ourselves and therefore we, then, uh, we end up attaching ourselves to unnatural things or unnatural relationships. Verse 16b says this, but no one gave him anything. And there are two scenarios here. So one, either we seek validation from another source other than the Father, and it may feel like it's something in the moment, but it will always reveal itself as nothing. It has no substance. It's like drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> I love Diet Coke. But some people would say that it has no substance. 
And if I were to drink a Coke, I find it too strong. But, um, you know, just to kind of give you a little bit of a funny parallel, it's like drinking Diet Coke. Um, Cameron, Pastor Cameron, he absolutely hates everything diet, right? Sandra tries to sneak that in there. He's like, no, that has no substance. <laughs> he... Pastor Cameron's a tall guy, so he needs lots of substance to keep him keep him growing and going. I guess so. Yes, <laughs> we will. No, I was gonna. I was gonna say, no, I won't say that. <laughs> this is being recorded. Bless you, Pastor Cameron. Um, the second scenario in this is, or we seek validation from people who themselves don't have identity to give us. People can't give you what they don't have. If you are seeking to know and understand your identity in God, first go to God, read his word, and then seek counsel from people who know who they are in God. And they can pour out and give you what you need where you're empty. It's not them giving it to you. It's God giving it to you through them. So seek out those that actually have what you need. So how many of us are angry or disappointed by those we have sought our identity from that couldn't give it to us? A spouse? A friend? Our children? Our pastors? Our bosses? And I could probably go on. Some of you may be able to fill that blank in yourself in terms of who are you angry or disappointed in because they couldn't seem to fill a need that you have and give you something that they just couldn't give. It has to come through God. Number four, the enemy stole the son's family. And it was about a loss of relationship. Verse 18b and 19 says this, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And Jesus said that he came to seek that which was lost, not whom was lost. Isn't that interesting? You know, sometimes when we think about when Jesus was telling that parable about the lost coin and the lost sheep, and, and then he talked about the prodigal son, he talked about, and he says in there that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we, we tend to think of that as a whom was lost, but it's actually which was lost. So there is a whom in the which, stay with me, <laughs> but the which, as in W-H-I-C-H, <laughs> is relationship. Jesus came to seek and to save relationship. The enemy stole the son's family. He stole his relationships with the father and he stole the relationships with his siblings and his fellow man. Jesus came to seek and to save relationships. See, Jesus came that we would have restored that which was separated. Death in the Bible means separated. So when we lost our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we were, we were separate. We were spiritually dead. We were spiritually alive and then became spiritually dead. And we were suddenly separated from our Heavenly Father. We were separated from the relationship of being in the family of God and having God as our Heavenly Father. There was a spiritual death. 
And Jesus came then through Christ to once again connect that separation and bring back to life that which was dead and to bring us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father and to give us a family back. To be separated from the giver of life is to lose all, to lose a sense of life, a sense of identity, family, and relationship with God. With a loss of relationship is also a loss of worth and value. And the reason why that is, is that often, and again, orphans experience this a lot, that when they, even if they get adopted, there's a sense of not having a a worth or a value because the natural parent gave them up. Obviously, that is a lie that the enemy loves to twist and conform, and and he loves to cause that to grow, because when a child is put into an adoptive family, that adoptive family is going to love them, and they already saw the worth and the value of that child so much that they wanted that child to be in the family. But sometimes that child still feels like they have no worth and no value because they feel like that relationship with their biological parent has been separated, and there's a death there. So again, the son lost his family. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. His father here in the Greek means his own father, meaning that there was a false father. Who's the father of lies? The enemy. Some of you have been so lied to by a false father. And the enemy has stolen your own father's mind, heart, and passion for you. And I believe wholeheartedly that today God is beginning to restore a new mindset in some of you. God is shifting and giving you a new perspective that when you walk out of those doors and literally, prophetically, symbolically shake it off before you walk out of those doors, that that spiritual oppression, that those lies that the enemy has been speaking to you, over you, and maybe even through you to your family or to your children, that that would be broken off of you today. And you return to your own father who says, you are loved by me. You are no longer separated from me. You are connected and you're in the family of God. That relationship has been restored. And in that restored relationship, I want to give you fresh life. I want to give you spiritual life. So I pray that when you walk out of there today, you're going to have a change of mindset. And when we lose our life, we lose our identity. And we lose our position. We lose our family. When we lose all those things, then we also lose our authority. And when we lose our authority, we lose our stewardship. And when we lose our stewardship, We lose our inheritance. Our inheritance in Christ is peace, not separation. It's safety, not fear. It's security, not insecurity. It's protection, not feeling unprotected. It is provision. It is being provided for. 
and it is rest. It is the ultimate rest that God calls us to. That is our inheritance. But if we don't know our identity, and if we don't know our position, and if we don't know our authority, then we lose our inheritance. I believe that God wants to start to give you and restore to you your inheritance that Christ has died on the cross to provide for you. When I was praying there as we were worshiping and I was thinking about the combat boots and I was like, God, what is it you really want to symbolize this morning? I know you want us to pursue the enemy. I know you want to symbolize um, fighting, invading, taking back territory, transformation, restoration. And I felt like he was saying this, that Rachel, I want you to start to lead the troops to take their inheritance. You know, he said, when you have been healed, he said this to Simon, Simon, the enemy wants to sift you like wheat. But he said, Simon, when you come back, that I want you to teach other people. And in the Old Testament, I believe it was to Joshua, he said to Joshua to lead them into to lead his people into their inheritance, to show them how to go before them, to show, to ha- show them how to take over their territory, their promised land, how to receive and retrieve their inheritance that God was giving to each and every one of the Israelites. And I believe this morning, as, as this, the teachings have gone forth this morning, as this teaching is going forth, it's the beginning of learning how to pursue and take back your inheritance, to pursue and take back the, the territory and the land and the things that the enemy has stolen from you in the spiritual realm. That as you rise up in your identity and your positions and your authority, that you're going to have the empowerment of God's grace upon your life to do that very thing. Amen? So I'm just quickly, well, my watch decided to stop. What time is it? (laughs) 4.35. Okay, I'm quickly winding up here. Almost done. Um, I'm just going to quickly go through these things. So how did the enemy steal all of these things? Number one, the son believed a lie. He fundamentally believed a lie that he could find his identity through self-discovery. Basically, he was saying this, I'm the only one who can decide what is right or wrong for me. I'm going to live as I want to live and find my true self and fulfillment other ways. And that can be the the non-religious concept, because if we were to also study the elder brother, which we're not, I promise you I'll let you go soon. Um, uh, If we were to study the elder brother, we would find that his sin was to try to find his identity through moral conformity and right living, but still be far from the father. The elder brother is at home with the father, but is also separated from him. And that's the religious way of trying to find identity. Um, And basically that religious thing would say, I'm not going to do what I want to do, but what tradition and the community wants me to do. I will abide by the rules and and that's what will keep me in right standing. But my heart feels like a slave. There are two different ways of trying to find your identity. And it's trying to find it through self-discovery or through moral conformity and right living. It's Jesus Christ that gives us our identity. Amen? Awesome.
Number two, he believed, he then, so first he believed a lie, and then number two, he aligned his behaviors with his core belief of self-discovery. He came into agreement with the enemy and chose to rebel against the father. So he made peace with the enemy. He chose to agree and align with the enemy, and he chose to then turn his back on his father. So he came into agreement, again, with the enemy and not his father. So again, that was another way the enemy stole these things from him. Number three, then he gave up his life and control to the enemy. He went in search of happiness outside of his father. So if any of these three things are showing up in your life, then the enemy is probably stealing from you. And he may even be doing it subtly, but he is stealing. And he loves to twist things. He loves to lie to our minds. He loves to, to take over the, the territory of our mind first. And then he starts to invade and take over our lives. But the story says that the son finally comes to his senses. So he returns and repents to the father and is welcome, loved, accepted, and celebrated for who he was all along a son of the father. Verse 20 and B says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And ran, he refers here to, I will leap to meet him. So literally the father was saying, I can't wait to get to him. I'm running after him. I'm pursuing. I'm going to leap to get him. I'm going to jump over things to get to him. And you know, the Bible says to us that God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And we've been talking this morning about that faith connection, that act to attract, and that concept that God is drawing near to you because you're drawing near to him. Verse 21 says this, The son then said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And some of us sometimes are living in the Father's house again, but the enemy is still trying to make us believe and feel that our identity is still in the pit. Who here knows that sometimes you can put up pictures in your pit? You can, you can make peace with the enemy and you can be comforted by your captivity so much that you can start to decorate right where you are and go, hey, that's looking pretty good. <laughs> I can handle this. This is okay. If I just, you know, put a little paint over there or a little picture over here or a mirror over here, maybe a flower at the doorstep, nobody's going to know that it's a pit. I want to declare to you today that if you are in Christ, then you are no longer in a pit. You are in your father's household, and circumstances can look like that, but can I say to you this morning that Jesus Christ has come to the top of your pit, and he has put down a ladder, which is the cross, and he has said, come out of that pit, come out of that comfort, come out of that captivity, come out from being at peace with the enemy, come, and I want you to run, and I want you to pursue the inheritance that I have set out for you, come on, run. 
And I want to speak to you just about restoration then in these last couple of verses. Verse 22 to 24 says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And the robe here signifies again being covered protected and provided for so he's receiving back his inheritance the best robe in in the hebrew times at that time and in that culture would have been the father's own robe and it signified a restored standing in the family so you have through christ received the robe of righteousness christ's robe of righteousness which was given to him by the father so it's the father's own robe the best robe in the house has been given to us when we're restored we're restored standing in the family and the ring signifies a reinstatement of position and authority as a son and heir in the family Sandals signified provision, peace, and reconciliation. And again, in the Bible, it talks about the armor of God, that our feet are fitted with the gospel of peace, as I spoke about at the beginning, and it's peace with the Father. Do you want to know the ultimate, the ultimate weapon against the enemy is peace and rest? When we are at peace with the Father and we are at peace with ourselves because we know who we are, the enemy does not understand peace. He understands false peace, but he does not understand that peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's how you can walk through dark times and dark circumstances, how you can walk through conflict and things coming against you and still be full of grace and still be full of peace. And it's a weapon that the enemy gives you or that God gives you against the enemy. This morning, some of you, the enemy has stolen your peace and he has stolen your rest. So what he has ultimately stolen is your greatest weapon in the spiritual realm. God wants to restore to you your peace and your rest in him this morning that you would be well armored for the fight. I'm going to have the worship team come back. For those who need to go, feel free to go. I know I'm 10 minutes over. Um, but if you can stay for a few minutes longer, that would be awesome. Um, I just want to share my daughter. I have four daughters. My youngest daughter, who is 20, has been in Europe doing an exchange. And she's been in Scotland, but recently she's been touring Italy. And um, she has seen a lot of amazing artwork and different things and she's seen amazing churches and cathedrals and how um, they've just been so elaborately ordained but there's been some really beautiful ones of, of paintings and she saw the original painting of the Lord's Supper you guys know what I'm talking about and she saw it on the wall where it was painted and that was uh, hundreds of years ago and she said mom she said it's really really amazing because the Lord's Supper and she had just shown me a picture, so you wouldn't know it by the picture. But she said right beside the Lord's Supper painting is the 
the church, the cathedral had gotten bombed. And right beside the Lord's Supper, the wall is gone and it's ruined. And she said, only, only the feet of Jesus are taken out. But the Lord's Supper, that painting, was protected. And it's still there. And I think that's such an amazing prophetic picture for us today. That our lives can be look so ruined and it can be bombed, literally. But Jesus Christ is there as well, and he is completely restored. And I believe, you know, when you think about European ruins, sometimes you look at those and you think, oh, that's so sad. It was bombed and it was ruined and it's uh, darkened by fire and it looks terrible. But I feel, I believe that those ruins are a picture and a signification that, you know what, the enemy has been here and there has been a battle, but I am the one that's still standing, and the enemy is gone, and yes, there are battle ruins, but because of Jesus Christ, because of his restoration, because of what he wants to do in and through our lives, those ruins can become a beautiful thing. And I believe full restoration is about a hope of that restoration coming about, about ruins coming to life and into a place of restoration. Can we just take a few moments, ladies? I'm going to ask you to stand. I believe that the prodigal God, through the cross, has, has shown us his extravagant love. And so today, this afternoon, as we close this session... I just pray that for some of you, that you will just feel God's love washing over you. And again, if you need to go, feel free to do so. But if you can stay and you want to stay, uh, feel free to do so. And we will um, pray over you. We want to bless you. Thank you so much for coming. We love you. Let's just pray and then we'll, we'll enter into worship. Father, I thank you for what you are doing in people's hearts. God, I thank you that you are restoring places that have been ruined and that you are bringing to life those ruined places, that there would be hope for restoration again. Father, I just thank you that people have encountered your love and your presence today in a mighty way. We bless your work today, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.